Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Well, we are in the second week of our Break Free series. And if you haven't yet, make sure you sign up for one of the life groups because this is part of what God uses to help us overcome the things we need to overcome. Not just he, but others who are following him as well. So make sure you sign up for one of those life groups. Let me first just say before we start today, a big thank you to you as well. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Dean Billings here from Compassionate Canada, and he was speaking. And before he came, he said, Mark, would you set a goal for your church of how much you think would be raised for Compassion Canada? And I thought about it. I said, well, maybe $700. I'm thinking to myself, $700 seemed like a good goal. And just before I emailed him with a number, I said, no, I'm going to go big. I'm going to go big. So I went up to $1,000, $1,000. Well, before Dean left this building that Sunday, over $3,000 came in. And we're up to $4,000 now. And, and David was telling me, Dean was out in the foyer looking at the phone going, is this right? Over $3,000 has come in already. I haven't even left the building. So thank you so much. So many kids and pastors are going to be helped so much because you at this time, in a difficult time, said, no, I'm not going just going to be a getter. I'm going to be a giver. Well, we're in the second week of the break free Series And if there was a theme to this series or a tagline, it would be this. For life change to happen, we must commit to full cooperation with God's desire to transform us. For us to break free, for life change to happen, we must commit to full cooperation with God's desire. And he has that desire to transform us and help us to break free. I was sharing with uh, those of you who receive our weekly updates how recently I found myself doing something I thought I would never see myself doing. I needed some guitar strings and I went to the guitar, the music store as I often do, and I got out of the car and as I stood outside the door, I did what we all do. I, I, I put my mask on and it caught a, a glimpse of me in, in the doorway thinking, this looks horrible. Like if a year ago, if you saw me come in, you know, to the, the store owner saw me or you're uh, driving around and you saw me putting a mask on, ready to go in the store, you'd be calling 911 saying, help, this guy's just getting robbed. But today, it is a way of life for us. And we wear a mask because we might be carriers of COVID. And if we had it, if we're carrying it, then we're putting others who come in close proximity with us in danger. So we wear the mask. We, are, we could be carriers, and we want to be mindful of that. We don't want to put others at risk. We don't want to bring harm or hurt to them. But I want to remind you today that, in fact, we are all carriers, hopefully not of COVID-19, but all of us are carriers. We, all of us carry something which influences and impacts others in our life. You might be a carrier of fear, And those who you come around, you become fearful because that is what you bring to the table. You might be a carrier of of bitterness or negativity, and all those around you are impacted by what you're carrying. But the video clip we saw earlier reminds us today how wonderful it would be if it could be said of us that we are carriers of hope. What a great impact you would have on those in your home, 
those at your school or your place of work or in your community, if it can be said, when they see you come, they feel better, they feel, feel cheerful and hopeful because you are a carrier of real hope. The question is this, is what you are carrying worth catching? I want you to think about that today, that what you are a carrier, we're all carriers, or what you, what you are carrying, is it worth catching? Is it worth giving to others? Is it going to lift them up and encourage them? Or will it discourage them? I know I've been um, around both kinds of people. I can tell you, I strongly recommend and prefer to be with those who are carriers of hope rather than those who are carriers of discouragement. But here's the question. If I am to be this carrier of hope, where does my hope come from? My hope has to be based on something real and true. I just can't fake it or fabricate it saying, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful. It has to be based on something true. And we find the answer in the Bible with this testimony where one like us wrote this. We heard it this morning earlier. Oh Lord, you alone are my hope. I've trusted you, oh Lord, from childhood. That's from Psalm 71, 8. And in fact, if we you know, look at what is being said here, we can understand why our hope is in God. Let me just read that verse that I read earlier in the service. It begins this way. Oh Lord, I've come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me and rescue me. You do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me and set me free. Be my rock of safety where I can always hide. Give the order to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. My, my God, rescue me from the power of the wicked, from the clutches of cruel oppressors. Oh Lord, here, listen to this. You alone are my hope. I've trusted you, oh Lord, from childhood. Yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. No wonder I'm always praising you. So that's the carrier of hope. And these six verses, we learn uh, that we can hope in God alone for he protects me. He, he saves me. He rescues me. He does what is right. He hears me. He sets me free. He is my safe refuge. And when we possess this real hope in the Lord, we are truly infected with it. We become carriers of it and others will catch and see what we learned for our own lives. Let me just finish the last two verses in the scripture said, my life is an example. See, we are carriers. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. And you can spot these real, authentic carriers of God's hope. They're so easy to distinguish from others for they are sincerely thanking and praising God. They're pointing to him and giving him glory. That's so good. Now, the kind of hope I need in my life, this hope is not the kind of hope we refer to as wishful thinking. I feel like my life is too important uh, just to be hopeful as I'm just hoping this happens. I wish this would happen. I just cross my fingers and say, here's hoping. I find I'm in need of certain hope, not wishful thinking. And I know the only place I can find that kind of certainty, as the scripture says, is in God and God alone. He alone has the power. He alone is able. He alone can accomplish what I desire and even more. 
I love this pronouncement and this declaration about God, the God we can hope in. Listen to this from Ephesians 3.20. It says, now all glory to God. See, that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're giving him glory. We're carriers of hope. Why we give him glory? Who is able. You should underline that word able. Through his mighty power, underline the words mighty power, at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. This is who, this is where I want to place my life. And the one who's able, who has the power, who's able to accomplish so much more than I can even think or dream of. We know that old hymn, The Solid Rock, and it says this, it begins with this testimony in the song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And that word, when it talks about the frame, it talks about our body, meaning I cannot trust in myself or trust in any other person, but but wholly in God, in Jesus alone. Why would I look to anyone else for hope. I mean, certain hope. I mean, it would be unfair of me to put you in a position where I say, you are my certain hope. I can't expect you to do the things that only God is able to do, the things we heard in that Psalm 71. It wouldn't be fair for me to always expect that you can always protect me and always save me and always rescue me, always be able to do what is right and hear and set me free and be my safe refuge. That would be so unfair for me to place those expectations on you. For me to do that, I think would be like asking you to physically carry me around every minute of every day of every month. I mean, it would crush you. You would break under that kind of pressure and you're not strong enough. I don't think you're foolish enough as well. Instead of trusting God, if we trust ourselves or others, we risk the greatest of failures of crushing under the pressure of failing. We risk moving so far from God that we forget his heart. We forget his goodness, his love and his power to accomplish the things that he said he can accomplish in our life more than what we could do on our own. Trusting in God and obeying his word is where we find our true and lasting significance satisfaction and security. There are places in the world which, which help us, which seek to help us, but they can never offer us the certain hope that God wants to give you. At some point they fail us because they are not God. You know, we turn to our government and say, carry me through this crisis. We turn to the healthcare system and say, carry me through this crisis. We go to our banks and says, help me, carry me through this crisis. We go to the beauty salon and say, help me, please carry me through this crisis. We go to our workout routine and say, hey, make me healthier. Help me to get through this crisis. We go and buy a lottery ticket saying, please help me get through this crisis. We go to Pastor Mark and say, help me get through this crisis. All of these can be good things, especially that Pastor Mark guy, they're all helpful things, but not one of them can give you and promise you what only God can give you, certain hope. You know, I have to admit, and this is the humbling part we talked about last week, 
I have to admit, I cannot place certain hope even in myself. I heard someone say this week, you're the only person you trust is yourself. Well, I'm telling you that's not the case. We hear people declare, believe in yourself. And, and I do believe what the Bible says in regard to who you are and who we are. I believe that the Bible says that I'm God's masterpiece. I, I, I don't feel like I deserve that, but I'm so grateful that's how he sees me. The Bible tells me I'm highly valued by God, loved by God, and I matter to him greatly. I believe in myself in regard to these areas, but I've learned I cannot believe in myself with certain hope that I will overcome and be successful in the obstacles placed before me in my life. I can wish for it. I can cross my fingers and say, here's hoping, but I can't be certain of it. As we said last week, if you could break free from the hurt or the hang up or, or, or the sin on your own, you would have done it by now, but you haven't. And the reason why is that you can't do it because, well, you can't do it. Only God can do it. You will not always be able to save yourself, no matter how much you believe in yourself. You will not always be able to protect yourself, even though you want to believe that you can or rescue yourself or set yourself free, no matter how much you believe in yourself. Oh, a few years ago, I was in a conference in Calgary. And in the morning, I put the television on and I saw this preacher and I listened to him speak because he was speaking about change. One of my, I would say one of my favorite subjects. And he told a story which absolutely convicted me. I mean, this, this story challenged me. He told about in this historical book um, written by Thomas Constantine called The Three Edwards and describes a 14th century duke by the name of Renald. He lived in a region that is now Belgium, and Renald was grossly overweight. In fact, he was commonly called by his Latin nickname, Crassus, which means fat. Eventually, Renald became king. But his brother Edward was very jealous. And after a, a violent quarrel, Edward rallied a group of people together and led a revolt taking over the castle and the kingdom. Now you think this younger brother Edward would kill his older brother because he's a threat. That's often what was done in those days. But he had some compassion on his older brother, Renald. And so he did something unexpected. Edward built a special dungeon for Renald. It was a very specific kind of prison cell. It was circular in nature. Edward removed Renald from the throne and built this large circular room, which had a doorway. Now listen to this, had a doorway, but no door. Imagine that a prison with no door to lock you in, to keep you in. Doesn't sound like much of a prison, does it? Inside the room was a bed, there was a table, and all the essentials Renald would need to live day by day. The doorway to the room with no door was a regular-sized doorway, so Renald could leave freely anytime he wanted except for one important matter. Renald was too big to get through the open doorway. Edward placed Renald in a room and said, when you can fit through the doorway, you can break free, you can escape. Every day, Edward would have the servants bring to the prison room a smorgasbord of pies and pastries and platters of meats and other delicacies, lay it all in front of his brother. People would accuse Edward of being cruel 
You're a cruel king, you're a cruel brother. But Edward would always be ready to answer, my brother is not a prisoner. He can leave when he chooses to. Renal, however, remained in that same room, a prisoner of his own appetite for more than 10 years. He wasn't released until Edward died in battle and then himself died shortly after that because of ill health. And the story convicts me because we know what we battle with. We struggle with this habit. We struggle with this sin or this hurt or this hang up. And we need to break free. We want to break free. It's just we can't do it. If we could, we would, but we can't. We find ourselves imprisoned. But the message last week, the message today is this. Trusting in and obeying God's word is where we find our true and lasting significance, satisfaction, and security. So we need to invite him into our life, into our prison where we are stuck, and listen to him and follow him and allow him to help us break free. Last week, one step, step one to breaking free was this, to humbly confess my need for God in my life. Because that's where it begins. We cannot go any further until we first get this settled, to deal with this truth. And the second step, the one we're looking at today is this, to declare and live my life with God as my hope, my only hope, my one and true hope. In this unsettled place that we call home, we have a choice as how, to how we're going to fulfill those aches and those longings in our heart. We can believe the enemy. We can believe that we can do it our own self, or we can believe God. We can succumb to the lies that we're fed by our enemy or the truth that we hear in God's word, the truth we hear today. I love what Henry Blackaby said. He said, hope in the Christian's life is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation. That's what we need. That's what I desire. To have certain hope in our Lord is to put our faith in him. You can't have certain hope without faith. And Romans 8, 28, it reminds us of that. It says this, and we know. So you should underline that. And we know, we don't think or we wish. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In other places in the Bible, we know this verse where it says things will last, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we talk a lot about love, we should. We talk a lot about faith, and we should. But we don't talk a lot about the connection that that hope has in that scripture. Faith, hope, and love. Placing our faith in God brings certain hope. This, this, there's a little verse in the Bible that, that we skip over sometimes when we read and, and we don't think much of it. And I heard it this other, the other week and I thought, this is what we're talking about. It's in the book of Job's where, Job where it says, the same thing happens to all who forget God. The hope of the godless evaporate. The hope of the godless, it just dissipates. It disappears. It's not built on the love and the faith that we can have in God. We trust in him. We want to follow him. We want to be obedient to him, to his word. For this is where we find our true and lasting significance, satisfaction, and security. This, my friend, is the essence of faith. Because God hasn't changed. 
He is the same yesterday. He's the same today and forever. And God's promises are eternal and unchangeable. They will not fail because God cannot fail. That's where I want to put my life. That's what I want to build my life on. A God whose promises will not fail because God cannot fail. Let me share a story where you know, I, I learned so much because God just teaches me in life. Let me just share this with you. And you might be able to identify this somehow in your own life. But when I was a young man, a young pastor, I felt it was important that, that I would own some property. And the reason was, as I was beginning ministry as a young man, I saw other pastors I grew up with retire and have no place to live because all their career, the church provided a home for them. They retired and realized, I have no money saved up. I have no place to live. And that kind of, um, I didn't want to end up that, that way. And I felt one day as I was praying, and I really felt God saying, you know what, Mark, it's okay for you to pray for uh, some property, for a place of your, home, of your own. And I hesitated. I said, you sure, God? That sounds kind of selfish. God said, no, I want you to pray for this. So I started pressing ahead to find some property while I was still a young man. The only problem was being a pastor of a small rural church meant I didn't have the monetary um, <laughs> means to buy property. I found a company who had properties for sale that were, were very cheap because they would buy them for unpaid taxes or they were not very accessible. And uh, they had a catalog and I looked through this catalog and I decided I'm going to find, I'm going to buy the cheapest property in Southeast Ontario. That's not, that's not uh, too remote and has some road frontage. And so I found it. It was in a place called Caledar. Uh, it was a three and a half acres outside this town of Caledar at the crossroads of he- Highway 7 and 41. And it was about a four-hour drive for us where we lived at the time. So we went and we drove and walked on the land and looked it over. And, and I always felt so happy. And we purchased it. I thought, at last, I mean, somewhere in this world, I have the security and then the property at 30 years of age. And here's a picture of the land. You can see it. Uh, I just took it off Google Maps this week. You can see what the property looks like. The company which I purchased the land from became very slow in giving me free title and the deed. And months went by and still had not received title, though I paid for it. And finally, after a year of waiting, the company contacted me with some very sobering news. They said, we can't give you title to this land because the township won't give us title because it's, so, it's basically a rock with some trees and some, a little bit of soil on it. And then we can't put septic in. You won't be able to put water in. And so they won't give us a permit for you to build on this property. So we cannot give you title to the land. And the company returned my money. But I was heartbroken. I mean, I put my hope in this and I believed in this and, and did all I could do to find the cheapest piece of land in southeastern Ontario. And my heart and my money was tied up in this thing for a year and it just crashed beneath me. I remember still to this day standing in front of my dining room hutch with a check that the company returned to me. And I surprised myself because I had this God moment where God said, Mark, hope in me. Hope in me. I'm in this with you. Put your hope in me. And what I really wanted to have was a woe is me party. I made a choice. and said, God, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to put my hope in you. I can't see how this is going to work out. I can't find anything cheaper. I don't have any money, but I'm going to hope and trust in you, as you said. God said, don't despair. Hope in me. I have something better for you. 
the company that, that sold me the land felt bad. And so uh, they called me because I'd been to their offices many times, dreaming and looking through catalogs. And they felt bad that, that this had happened. They had their money, my money for a year. And, and so they said, is there any other property you might want to purchase? And I knew that I didn't have the means to buy anything more expensive than this. And I, but I did notice in the last catalog, my dream property, it was um, acreage on an oceanfront in Nova Scotia. And if you know me, I love the ocean. I woke up this morning with the ocean on my big TV doing my devotions of the waves crashing. I noticed this property in the catalog. I thought it won't be available. I mean, how, I mean, <laughs> I can't expect this oceanfront property still to be available. And I looked and I talked to them at their office and to my surprise, it was still there for purchase. It was more money than what I had, but the company feeling bad what happened worked with me and over the next few years, I was able to purchase that property. And that may sound not like much to you, but to me, it was a, an, an example, an important lesson I learned today. When God says, I want you to hope in something, and maybe it may not be property, but something else, he tells you, I want you to trust me and hope in me, even when it looks bleak. Even in circumstances, you can't understand how would this ever turn around. You can hope in him. And you, like me, you would know that life sometimes can be lonely, it's uncertain, and we allow fear and we allow doubt and anxiety to creep in. And we question God because we don't understand why this is happening to me. Why are these circumstances happening? This seems so unfair, so unjust, and there's nothing I can ever see change. In this unsettled place, we have a choice to how we will fulfill those moments of despair. We can trust God or not. We can believe the enemy or we can believe God. We can succumb to the lies and the defeat and despair. Or if God says to believe me, trust me, we can trust him as a solid rock. Now, in the Bible, we find someone facing greater peril, peril than I ever faced. Job, I mean, this man lost uh, all his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his immediate family and life was horrible for him. It was hopeless for him. And I can't imagine being so sick, being covered with boils and scratching skin off my myself and losing all of my possessions and, and losing to death much of my family. And you would think, well, how would you respond to that? Well, his wife responded by saying this, just Job, curse God and die. I mean, it's not working out. Just curse him and die. It's over. But Job wouldn't do it. Instead, he responded to the crisis he was facing this way. He said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I mean, imagine that. Job said, though I understand what God is doing and why he's doing this and allowing this to happen in my life, I'm going to make a choice. I will hope in him. That's what we're talking about. It made no sense to Job what he was experiencing, why he was experiencing it. He could see no way out. He was suffering. It was horrible. It was hopeless. And yet he still said, I'm going to choose to hope in the Lord. I mean, that's a wow moment. How could he do that? Well, see, he had faith in God. And where did that faith come from? He loved God. And we saw the Bible. There's three things that remain, three things you got to get together. They'll last forever. Faith, hope, and love. First Corinthians 13, 13. And there's a definite relationship between these all three important things. Job had a certain hope in God because he had a faith in God. He had a certain 
unshakable hope in God because he had this unshakable faith in God. And you can't have hope if you first don't have faith. And Job had faith because he loved God. He loved him with all his mind, soul, and strength. He was in relationship with God. God wasn't just an idea or religion. He abided with God and God abided with him. He knew God. So Job loved God, which caused him to put faith in God. And his faith in God allowed him to choose hope, even though it seemed hopeless. Our certain hope is rooted in our faith in God. And our faith in God is rooted in our love for God. Those who forget God, remember, those who don't love and place their faith in him cannot have certain hope. Job said, the same happens to all of us who forget God. The hope of the godless evaporate, it dissipates, it disappears because you don't have that faith and that love. So how can you ever hope without those things? What you need to know today is God will lead you through the storms of hopelessness. He is your loving heavenly father. He desires to abide with you and you and him. He desires you to place your faith in him. So as we read, he could accomplish infinitely more than you can ask or think. And you got to trust him. It may not be what you think, but it's what he thinks and knows what is best. You need to trust him and hope in him, not in yourself, not in your circumstances, He will lead you, but we must follow him. And that often takes faith. And that kind of faith comes out of a love relationship. When things seem foggy, we say, God, even though I don't understand, I trust you. I hope you, as Job did. I remember the day when um, Glenda and I were home in our little rural town. And the phone rang and Glenda answered and began talking. And she told me after hanging up, it was our youngest daughter who was a novice driver. And she was at the main town about half an hour away. And it was so foggy and, and she had to come home and, and she was nervous. Uh, so she started out on the road and I, I said, I, I just can't sit here. I, I jumped in the car. I didn't phone her because I didn't want her picking up the phone while she's driving. And I started to go down the highway. I knew she was coming on. I started driving my car in this dense fog and about half, about 20 minutes, I saw these dim lights come towards me. As that car passed me, I looked and saw, that's, that's my daughter. She didn't know it was me, but I knew that was her. And when I safe, when I could do so safely, I turned around and came up behind her. She's driving very slow. So safely I could pass her. I passed her and slowed down the same speed she was going so she could see my taillights. And I was able to lead her all the way down the road. And she's surprised. She didn't know who this was. He's turning into my same road I live on. He's turning onto my street. He's turning into my laneway. And she said, after, I didn't know that that was you. That helped me. That guided me through my nervousness and, and unknown in the fog. And you were there guiding me through it all. Thank you. What loving earthly father wouldn't want to do that for one of his children? Well, what we would want to do for our children, God wants to do even so much more for us. We are his child and he's able and has the power to accomplish infinitely more than we could do in our own. He is like that car in front of us, guiding us through the fog and through the disillusionment, through the hopelessness in our life. So I want us to take a moment today We take two minutes as we always do at the end of the message and say, Lord, what do you want me to know today? Maybe you're in a fog. Maybe you are in a course. You don't understand why I'm here, where I'm going, and how could ever change. You say, God, what is it you want me to know today? 
And how do you want me to respond? I would bet if you took two minutes and just quieted yourself and listened, that God's going to speak to you because he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to lead you and help you if you would put your hope in him, which comes from faith in him and a love for him. Would you take that moment and listen and say, God, what do you want me to know? And then ask, what would you like me to do about it? Let me pray for us. God, as we spend these two minutes, Lord, would you just meet us in our place? And I don't know what that place might look like for those listening today. Some, it may, it, maybe it's okay, but for some, there is confusion. There is that fog and, and that unknown that, and that, that, that nervousness that they have. And I pray, God, you'd meet them in that place and say, I've got this if you trust me, put your faith in me. I got this if you would abide in me and love me as I want to love you. You can hope in me. Lord, would you meet us today as we listen to you and instruct us, God, how we may follow in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at the gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.